Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. In the studio tonight, me, Ian, Bear Arms, and Jay Noon. You were from Massachusetts originally? Is that is that right? Yeah, more or less. You yeah. see, you've escaped yeah. partially. An exodite. Yeah. yeah. If, You're trying to. Trying You're still to, kind right. of mired yes, in the yes. Massachusetts yeah. court system, which, of yeah. course, Jay is right. also a Massachusetts native. And so he has a little bit of experience with going to court in Massachusetts as well. Um, having been born, uh, Jay, with no social security number, uh, did you? Did your parents even get a birth certificate? Well, uh, so yeah, my mom definitely signed a certificate of live birth, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I authenticated it, so I got the original one according to the authentication process. Okay. I'm the I'm the holder in due course of that particular uh, financial instrument uh, <laughs> that was that the Bureau of Vital Statistics created, but. Uh, yeah, so no social security number, so that that was uh, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, people told me, uh, "Oh, you'll never get a job. You won't be able to work anywhere." And you know, pretty much my entire life, I've been turning down work. So it doesn't matter whether you got, mm-hmm. you know, a social security number or not. If you have skills, people will hire you. They don't care if they got to pay you cash, even if they really don't want to pay cash. Usually, so indeed, uh, Barry, you've been facing some pretty ridiculous charges down in Massachusetts involving your right to well in your bear case, arms, bear arms right. which Correct. happens to be your your handle or your right. username or whatever yeah um, how did you adopt that that name? Hey when, man, I just like bearing arms I know, but uh, yeah. when did that happen for you like I think sometime about maybe one or two years into the prosecution, I figured you know what I'm bearing arms. And they're charging me under color of law for carrying a firearm without a license. Mm-hmm. And so we have to correct the record, right? And uh, the best way to correct the record is to speak the record. And bearing arms is what we do as Americans. Because frankly... Which you're right. Yeah. Supposedly. It's it's the only thing that's guaranteed under the Second Amendment, right? The right to keep and bear arms. It doesn't say you can possess or mm-hmm. carry a firearm. And there is a huge legal difference between carrying a firearm and bearing arms. Now, most people won't understand that. What does that mean when you say there's a legal difference? We're, we're talking about legal land, right? Where words right. that right. sound like they're the same as English don't actually have the same definition as maybe if you picked up a regular English dictionary Correct. and looked it up. That's what you're talking about here, right? Correct. Yes. And, and there, there's a couple of operative words here. First of all, the word, we'll start with the easy one. We'll start with the word carry. Okay, now most people think you're when you're carrying a gun, it means you have a gun on your hip. That's what I would think. That's what you would think. Yeah, sure. That's what everybody is expected to think. But the actual definition of the word carry, the legal definition, is the function of a carrier. It's one who carries, much like a driver is one who drives. And the constitutional definition of carry means to carry on the duties and powers and functions of a public office. I mean, let me let me get to uh, that um, by by way of explaining this through the Constitution. Okay, when you read the Constitution, right, you look at the words, and you have to read those words in their original meanings. Now it says here, I'm reading from my notes. In expounding the comp- Constitution, every word must have due force and appropriate meaning. And no word is to be regarded as unnecessary or needlessly added. That's Williams versus the United States, 1933. Okay, so we're talking about the U.S. Constitution. Oh, yeah, we're talking about the United States Constitution. 
but it also applies that uh, because of our federalist system to state constitutions mm-hmm. as well. Now, the Constitution is a written statement, right, which means its meaning does not alter. That which it meant when adopted, it means today. And that's South Carolina versus United States, 1905. And then finally, words must be read with the gloss of experience of the men who framed them, okay? Because what they assumed would be carried down in the stream of history is that their words would receive the significance of the experience to which they were addressed, a significance not to be found in the dictionary. That's United States versus Rabinovitz, 1950. Get this. You can't look up that word in the dictionary, right? Which word? The words that are written in the Constitution. And we'll go over a couple of them. Okay. But first, we're going over the word carry, right? We'll also go over the word arms. Is that even in the Constitution, carry? It, it is. Okay. It's in the federal Constitution for carrying out the... Uh, the execution of the foregoing powers. Okay, so it's not in the Second Amendment, though. It's not in the Second Amendment. Definitely okay. not. Okay. The word in the Second Amendment is to bear. Right. The word in the uh, Constitution uh, that describes the word carry is to execute the foregoing powers. That's the federal co- Constitution. Mm-hmm. If you claim to be in keen, and the word in is often means within, and keen is just a municipal corporation, so they don't say the land of keen. Now, what's really interesting, if somebody wants to go read a town charter, which I find fascinating, is the Henniker Town Charter. So the Henniker, New Hampshire Town Charter, in the second to last paragraph, it says in the town charter, which is from 1758, which when I did a public records request for their incorporation documents or their documents, the do- documents they rely on that they are a Article 4, Section 4 Republican form of government or the documents they rely on that they are a, an incorporation or a municipal corporation, you know, 91A request mm-hmm. to the town of Henniker. They sent me back a copy of this 1758 Henniker Town Charter. Second to last paragraph says, and in no part of this charter shall be shall be constructed to be used against the private property soil of land um, or, or, or private property or soil of the land that is private property or something like that. Hmm. And... What do you think that means? Well, I think that means is that what exactly what the town charters mean. They only apply to town-owned properties. They only mm-hmm. apply to town uh, town employees. Well, that kind of comes back around to, I think, the point that Bear yep. Arms was trying to make here. Um, just I, I don't know if you got to this point yet, Bear, but I know that from our conversations off the air, you know, one of the things that you are arguing in court, and you kind of started to touch on this, yeah. is that bearing arms is not the same thing as carrying a quote-unquote firearm yes that this is a completely different legal terminology yep. it the regulations that are in place in massachusetts the laws quote-unquote the statutes whatever terms that they use the mgls or whatever their terminology is that they are writing these things and they are only intended to apply to people who work for the government or people who are licensed by the government to quote carry a firearm and you're saying that if you're on your own property and you are shooting uh, a gun on your own property which i believe you've allegedly been involved in uh that that should be your right and you don't need a license for that stuff am i am i correct in under understanding what you're saying there so a couple points uh i do agree that the constitution is barred from courts Right, and the reason they're barred from courts and about talking about them is because they do not use 
the terms that are in the Constitution. For example, there is no such uh, this, this bearing arms is not a controversy. So therefore, bearing arms cannot be talked about in the courts. Okay, and like you are saying, they relegate their subject matter to anything that's either commercial or something like like you were saying a drunkard or someone who is causing a disturbance. And as far as I'm concerned, I wasn't causing a disturbance. And mo- most of us, you know, libertarian types are keeping to themselves, and most of us do not cause a disturbance. And that's why we don't belong in their courts, right? There's no controversy there. And they don't like it when you talk about the Constitution because then you're saying uh, oftentimes people are misusing their words and saying, I don't need a license to carry a firearm. And when they say that, they're mixing two concepts. Right. One, one is that there is no license to bear arms, but you mm. damn well need a license to carry a firearm because carry means to carry in the performance of duties. And, and the reason you know this is because that's the only thing that the, that the, you know, the Massachusetts general laws talk about. Now, you have yeah. been on trial recently in regards to a particular criminal sure. charge of, yeah. was it carrying, carrying a, a gun a without gun a license? Without a license. Sure. Yeah. So you faced a jury of your quote-unquote peers right. in this case. I haven't seen the footage yet. I know it has been. It was recorded. Our, yeah. uh, our yeah. co-host, Chris Wade, went through some difficulty, apparently, yeah. Yeah. with the Massachusetts court system, which, having been down there and recorded trials sure. before, is not easy to do. But he was able to get a camera into this particular hearing. Uh, at some point, that video is going to come out. And, uh, you know, was this something you presented to the jury? Were you able no, so, to? So that's the thing is you're not allowed. You're not allowed to talk about these sort of you're not allowed to talk about, you know, carrying a gun versus bearing arms. The jury never gets to hear about. Really? That. Oh, okay. yeah. So yep. so so what I was able to bring out were only the things that are statutorily allowed to be brought out. Did you try and the judge I, shut you yeah, down? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You bet. Mm-hmm. They shut me down before even the whole thing started. Everything that's not kept and born by a person, by a man or woman, by a people, is can be considered a firearm. Now, going back to the the idea of arms, okay. So again, we talked about sixty two C, fifty five A. That's uh, chapter sixty two C, section fifty five A. Also, chapter this is Massachusetts. Yes, that's okay. Massachusetts, and also chapter sixty, uh, section twenty four. We talk about arms for personal use, arms, uh, military arms, comma, uniforms and equipment, which you which people keep with their, along with their household utensils, bedding and wearing apparel necessary to upholding life. That's what the original law says since 1786. And then you also have arms for the defense of his property, and that's uh, that's a hundred. That's chapter 149. Section one seventy seven. These things are still there, right? They oh, haven't yeah, been they're, repealed. They're, they're absolutely they are mm-hmm. still there. In fact, uh, uh, give me one second. So I'll, they passed this firearm stuff much later. Much later. The, much right. Later. So the like what he's talking about the Massachusetts general laws. I would say would be like the organic laws of uh, Massachusetts, and what's being used against him is all this statutory code. No, it, it just, it's the same. Actually, it's the same. For example, they use chapters two sixty nine. Uh, section ten, that is the um, the carrying without carrying a uh, carrying an unlicensed firearm against me, but they don't. What they don't say is chapter two sixty nine, the same chapter, section four allows people to be uh, bearing arms for the assistance of 
officers and magistrates in, ter- in, in times of a riot. They're called persons in arms. Okay, officers and magistrates may require uh, persons in arms to aid them in their assistance and to arrest persons who are causing a tumult or a riot. Okay, so we're talking about the same laws. We're talking about the same statutes. It's just that the uh, courts do not apply, uh, do not um, enforce some of these laws that that are on the books. And they selectively enforce the laws that are that are that are getting us in trouble, mm-hmm. right? For no good reason. And, and there's clear and, examples of that everywhere. I mean, yeah, you know, with my wife, with right, you know, Trump, with uh, Hunter Biden. They just they're very selective. You know. Selective enforcement of our laws is perhaps one of the biggest problems that we we have going on in this in this country. And well, it's and political. I it mean, is in, political in every single case. Now I want to address that problem with the with the jury, right? The fact that we can't bring up these laws mm-hmm. with the jury, right? Now, imagine this. Imagine that I had an arm on me, but before I got arrested, I had an engraver engrave onto the barrel of that gun, Mass General Law 62C-55A, arms for personal use. Then that would have to go into evidence, and when it does go into evidence, then you can make a show about it and say to the jury and to plead your case that that particular rifle shotgun or pistol is in fact not a firearm it's in fact an arm for personal use guaranteed by our constitution and guaranteed by the massachusetts general laws and that's an excellent point you bring forward because one of the things that i would do is i've i've always been one for recording the cops right so like 2003 for example i got arrested in massachusetts and uh I had a tape recorder going, and the cop asked me for a driver's license. And then I, I got the tape recorder going. And I said, what was that you asked me for? What would you want from me again? He goes, I want your driver's license. I said, oh, if I produce that 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 instrument for you, are you going to use, uh, use it as evidence against me in a court of law? He goes, of course I am. I'm conducting a crim- criminal investigation. So I said to him, well, I'm going to exercise my constitutionally secured rights not to furnish evidence uh, against myself, that, which is guaranteed under Article 14 of the Massachusetts Bill of Rights and Article 5 of the Bill of Rights of the United States of America. And so this was all on a recording. Sure. So the jury got to hear this. That's one of the things we got to you know, practice getting into our recordings of the, of, of the police is what we want the jury to hear. The difference between a right and a privilege is you don't ask permission to exercise a right. You Correct. just do it. In order to exercise a privilege, you have to supplicate yourself. You Correct. have to submit Those the fingerprints. You have to submit the yes. application to apply, to beg, to entreat, to ask someone who is above you. So you're essentially, by doing those things, you're putting yourself beneath yeah. whoever I is. I call them jurisdictional traps, mm-hmm. uh, You know all this uh, paperwork stuff. Another element of many of these permission slips is giving irrevocable power of attorney, for example, to the Registrar of Motor Vehicles. So in Massachusetts, I believe it's MGL Chapter 90, Section 3 and a half, they call it, and I believe it's A, B, or C, but A is like a license for an automobile, B is like a trailer, and C is like a motorcycle or something. But it says in there, an applica- anyone who, a person who applies for a license to operate a motor vehicle gives irrevocable power of attorney to the registrar of motor vehicles. And I was uh, uh, doing some research on similar things like this years ago, and I come across some gun stuff in New, New York, and the gun and, and you know the firearms law stuff, and it basically said that it was 
when you got a um, firearms license or a license to carry a firearm, I'm pretty sure what it said, uh, or applied for it, didn't say you, but when you apply for it, that you give irrevocable power of attorney to, to the director of like health and human services or something mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. for getting, you know, a, uh, you know, even like in, in some states, I, even, I believe Massachusetts, they want you to have a some kind of permission slip just to buy BBs for a BB gun, from, from what I understand, or, or at least a BB gun. You know, I maybe I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But let's turn back to to the the court thing again because the important thing here is that it's not a court, and the reasons it's not a court is because the administrative agency is supposed to be there. Just like the, just like that example with the uh, the medical board. If the medical board is not there, then there's no case or controversy. It's not a court, right? In this case, you have a professional contract, and the professional board is not there. So there, are, they are, they are uh, violating uh, the Administrative Procedures Act of the state of Massachusetts. That's Mass General Laws, Chapter 30A, Section 1. Well, why would they be there anyway? Because you never agreed to carry a firearm. You never applied for that permission slip. No, and you, so, right, right. But Why would they need because, to be there? Because only they are vested with the, uh, um, the statutory uh, power to regulate the carrying of firearms. Mm-hmm. And because they are... Only they're the only um, organization that really knows what carrying a firearm means. Think about it; they oh, license that subject matter. Well, they, they certainly don't want the jury yeah. hearing about no, that. No, they right? don't, because they license that subject matter. Mm. They have original subject matter jurisdiction over the carrying of firearms, and the fact that they are not there means that the court has no jurisdiction. It means it's not a court. Am, am I correct? Well, I think so. I mean, yeah. I, you know, part of our motion to dismiss in our latest thing was the fact there was no controversy bef- before the court. There's no injured party. There was no contract violation. Yeah. And, you know, we brought all these things up in motion to dismiss, which were just all, all clearly denied. And, yeah, there's tons of case law, constitutional laws, uh, code rules, uh, rules of procedure that explicitly state that there must be a controversy before, you know, a case can be brought forth to a court. There's must, all, yeah. yeah. And there's all kinds of rules of um, uh, ethical and procedure for for the lawyers that say that there must be a controversy, there must be an injury. We bring up a bunch of this stuff, and you know they just deny it. Yeah, and and so um, so back to the gun case. Okay, so they don't have jurisdiction over over the carrying or possession of firearms because the the agency that's charged with regulating that subject matter is not there. Therefore, they're violating Chapter Thirty A, Section One of the Administrative Procedure Act, where it says very clearly that uh, that the agency that's involved, they have to either institute or recommend institution of process in a court. And since they don't do that, they violate the separation of powers under the Constitution. And under, Mass Gen- uh, under the Massachusetts Constitution, it would be uh, Article 30, okay? Now, is this something you're able to bring up in your civil case? We haven't talked yes. about that yeah. yet, but oh, yeah. you, when you were facing this criminal charge, you decided you were going to go ahead and sue the attorney general? Is that right? So so the proper party uh, to bring to a lawsuit in this case would be the executive office mm-hmm. of public safety and security. If uh, people that are living here on this land they call Keene mm-hmm. uh, would send right to no request to the keen executive branch let's say the mayor's office mm. uh asking them to uh what evidence 
do you rely on that I am a uh, inhabitant or a, you know, corporate whatever, you know, according, you know, as described in your, you know, section one of your town charter, your city charter. Maybe they would say uh, you've registered to vote. Well, well, that's fine, whatever. But it would be very interesting for them for ask them for the information. I actually did a uh, so I got a traffic ticket in New Hampshire in like 2012. And one of the things I did was I did a, a right to know request. Actually, I did a Freedom of Information Act request, uh, and to the Attorney General in New Hampshire, asking them for what evidence they had that I was subject to the New Hampshire Motor Vehicle Code RSA whatever, and uh, just simply because I was on the land they call New Hampshire, and they uh, they denied the request and said actually I had to like do it like four different times because they just kept on saying we don't know what you're talking about or we don't understand or you know, so uh, but finally they said well we don't have that document on file. We're denying your crest because we do not have that document in, in, on file or in our records or something. Just, same thing when I asked the town of Henniker, you know, what evidence do you have that I'm subject to your, you know, your, your whatever code that they were citing? You know, mm-hmm. uh, we, we're denying your request because because we don't have those documents. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say this. Uh, we are presumptively, presumptively uh, uh, subject to whatever code that they offer. Now, that doesn't mean we have to accept their offer. And I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, in fact... I'll give you two case law that proves what I'm saying, or at least gives support. So the things that they offer us are called statutes, right? They say you're subject to this statute because you're living on the land of New Hampshire, correct? Well, they never say living on the land. They say they living say, in New Hampshire. They don't mm-hmm. even. In fact, they don't use the word living. They use reside. They, right, mm-hmm. right, reside. Reside or a presence. A legal term. That's a legal That's term. That's a legal yeah. term, right? right. A, a reside, when you're residing in New Hampshire— what that what that means is that puts you in in the class of a Fourteenth Amendment citizen Correct. because the word reside is in the Fourteenth Amendment, right? It, the citizens of the United States are those who are born or naturalized in the United States and residing in whatever state that they're in. So if you reside in New Hampshire, guess what you've given up by definition? You've given up your citizenship for the state of New Hampshire, your constitutional Article Four citizenship, and you have you have. You have consented to be a citizen of the United States, which, of course, is the District of Columbia, as we all know, right? So so what's my point here? Uh, my point is, well, the original one is that when they offer us a statute, say they, they say you're subject to RSA, whatever, X, Y, Z, what they're really saying is we like to contract with you and we're offering you a contract. Statutes are contracts by legal definition. I'll give you two cases that says that. The first is the Floyd acceptances. It's page 74 U.S., uh, or rather book 74 U.S., page 666. All right? It says statutes are acts authorizing the making of contracts with the government. And anyone who's entering into such a contract must look to the statute under which it is made and see him for himself that his contract comes within the meaning of the law. Okay? So if, so, if somebody, somebody says to you that you're subject to a certain statute, then what they've done is they've given you terms, offering terms. What's the consideration? Like, what's the, the benefit to me? Well, Because most statutes are all about control. Right, it is. It is about control. Mm-hmm. And the control is that they're offering you something that you don't know its value. For example, they're saying, uh, get out of your motor vehicle. That's a contract. 
Why? Because a motor vehicle is defined as a conveyance moving on the highways uh, in the regular course of business, you know, transporting and carrying goods and persons for hire. So if you consented to the to the idea that you have a motor vehicle, then they've just gotten advantage over you. Let me let me go over the second uh, Supreme Court decision that tells you that. Well, a of statute. course, how many people have gone and Argued unknowingly, that. Right, right. Sure. Uh, unknowingly signed up for the driver license? Right. Correct. Which you know says that you basically consented to the entire motor vehicle code and all these rules that, of course, you've never read that right. no one has and, ever read. And when you sign that contract, guess what happened? You lose your constitution. Right, because sure. because you've contracted out of the Constitution, and that so, is that's why when you go to court, there is no constitutional rights, and that's an adhesion contract. That Let's is, be really that clear a, about that. It is an adhesion contract. What is an adhesion? It means contract? a contract that is so heavily one sided, there is no benefit to one party. Right. It's a that's it's a constructively it fraudulent contract. Well, right. Not only is it fraudulent in that it's never presented as a real contract, it right. is presented under the threat of duress, meaning that most people right. know inherently that if they drive around for long enough without one of these picture cards that the state is issuing the driver license that there's a good chance some psychopath with a gun is going to possibly run them off the road and shoot them to death for doing that the idea the concept of having a license uh is is a very twisted concept but it's one that it's important to understand because it's it is in a way good for us it's good for the libertarian. And How's that? And it's good for the people. And the reason is the way that the license is construed, it's construed as a privilege. And I'll, let, I'll read to you what the Massachusetts Constitution says about privileges. It says, no man or corporation, da, yada, da, yada, 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 right? Yeah. Have any other title to obtain advantages or particular exclusive privileges distinct from the community than what arises from the consideration of services rendered to the public. So a license is a license to render services to the public in every single case. True. You find me a license that, that, isn't, that doesn't fit that description mm -hmm. because a license is the exclusive privilege for the rendering of services to the public. For example, the license to carry a firearm means you get to be a security guard. That means I get to hire you from off the street. You have the benefit of serving me, and I have the benefit of being served as one of the people, right? That license that you have, for example, a dentist to pull teeth, does not impair my right to pull my own tooth. The right that a, that a doctor has, not a right, the privilege, a license-exclusive privilege that the, the doctor has to, like, Put a finger up your ass. Oh, you can't say that on the radio. <laughs> oh. Hang on a second here. I had to hit the dump button. Uh, even though you, uh, I think you are a doctor, you uh, you have to use more mm, medical okay. terminology. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. And even then, Got it. You, in the in the world of the FCC, doing anything that has to do with like excretory parts you should probably okay. just stay away from. Got it. In, All in right. general. Let, let's say the the uh, where the sun don't shine right. would be Got you it. know Got a it. fine way to. So say if, it. if a if a physician were to do a DRE, which is a di digital rectal examination, okay. they need a license. Is that true? If I want to find cancer and I have to do a manual breast exam, I need a la license. Isn't that true? Because that is an exclusive privilege. 
that that I get from my license to serve the public. Well, I don't think that right? you should have to, okay? Because that is what the gang is saying. They say, well, we're here to protect you know, the, well, that's the what people they use. or they, whatever. That's what they use. Right. But if I want to hire a shade tree mechanic or a, a shade tree doctor or whatever, somebody that right. doesn't have a license, but I trust that person because I know they've done good work before or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, and, and we were in a situation during COVID where a lot of people in the medical field were getting their licenses pulled from them right. because they weren't going along with the, you know, the prescripted kind of narrative. Go, narrative yeah. And those people are still doctors. I, you know, they're still. I, I get I get the argument. Yeah. Right. And I agree with your argument. But from from a perspective of knowing how your enemy fights and thinks, this is how we have to approach it. We have to approach government as if, hey, big brothers out there looking out for us. They're watching out for us. They're making sure all those people who work and serve us are properly licensed and properly trained and properly vetted to serve us, which means that we are not subject to those licenses. Right. And here's another reason that we're not subject to, the, to those licenses. And that, that's an article five of, of the Massachusetts Constitution, which which says, by the way, that all power reside originally in the people and it's being there and being derived from them. The several magistrates and officers of government are, are, are uh, our substitutes and agents and at all times accountable to us. Hey, Daily Digest listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy. So, I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin... Visit patreon.com slash crblake86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. Getting rid of these licenses and just allowing for uh, certifications from industries, is the, the that's the libertarian answer to this. Because, of course, the question comes up, well, the whole point of a license ostensibly is protection. We need to make sure that these people have done a certain number of hours of study and that they've passed a test and, you know, X, Y, and Z. There's these concerns yeah. that people have. And those are legitimate concerns, but that's where certification can do that job without involving a license where you can go to some board, some medical board that is offering voluntary certification and you can prove to them that you know what you're doing or maybe you want to cut hair for a living. You can prove to you know this independent certifier. And they have this, of course, in businesses already. Uh, the tech field is a great example of this where in uh, you know the programming or IT, you can go and get your what is it, the MSE or something, Microsoft has one, yeah. and then there's another one from some other company. And these are high-level certifications. You have to know your stuff in order to be able to get this. In the restaurant business, there's uh, ServeSafe, for instance, which will certify people to know, you know, that they know what they're doing when it comes to handling food and washing hands right. and, and things like that. Uh, these are not needed. Government is not, government is not needed because the market right. can handle this. You're right. To, to the most, uh, for the most part, I th I would agree with yeah. you. And it has very strong historical precedents in, in, in the idea of having guilds, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, hundreds of years ago, we had doctors' guilds and masons' guilds and, you know, craftsmen's guilds and so forth. And those guilds were basically self-regulatory. Um, licenses are 
well, from a from a legal theoretical perspective, they 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 can be considered um, legitimate because they extend the power of the individual and delegates it to the government so that he can be protect he he can use that license to protect himself. Uh, so, for example, the way you got to think about it is: Do you have the power to uh, check on someone's credentials? When when um, when they do when they perform a service for you, of course you do. So if you have the power to do that, then that's a power that you could delegate to the government. So in, in a sense, you could hire, a, a, for example, a doctor who is not licensed, and as long as you consent to the idea he's not licensed, you could receive whatever he uh, would provide you. You should be able to. No, I think you but still they can. Will, they will attack that man if that it, is uh, found out. If, He'll if be charged with if something. If it's found out, I'm pretty sure he would be attacked. Mm-hmm. But you're the only person who's uh, who, who could conceivably allow that information to go forth. Well, but that's right? if he didn't put out, you know, like hang out his shingle, right? Like if he's not uh, advertising his services, as soon as you go out there and you start advertising right, that, your services right. to people, and that's when the feds or not feds, but the local, you know, thugs are going to pick up You become a lightning it. rod. Yeah. You do. Them. You're, you're right about that. I mean, you're absolutely right. And from a practical uh, perspective, I, I, I agree with you. Um, but we have to think about these things in a theoretical uh, manner so that we can we can see their viewpoint and use their viewpoint to to kind of sidestep them. Well, you wanted to get into right. the power to defend. Uh, I think. Yeah, for example, for example, we'll just give you. We'll, we'll lead. We'll segue into that. So we know that police officers have an unlimited right, or rather, privilege, to carry, let's say, however many bullets they they want in mm-hmm. their gun, right? They could have a 50-round magazine. Yeah. But civilians in uh, states like California and Massachusetts and, like, New Jersey, they have, like, a 10-round mag limit. Mm-hmm. Well, h- how do you suppose that works? Well, it doesn't. From from a constitutional perspective, the power of those police officers come from the statutes, and those statutes are voted on and approved by the legislature, and we, the people, voted for the legislature, which means all the power came from us. So how is it that our servants, who are desi- who are supposed to serve us, how are they yeah, supposed right. to take away our right to defend ourselves? Because or they're not really military occupy- occupation. It, it doesn't, well, and they're not really your servants, right? So well, what they, they're there they to do all, is to serve the state. I mean, the idea that they are what, your servants is mythology. Th- that's true. That's true. It's all myth, and we're here yeah. to bust those myths, right. right? But first, before you bust the myth, you have to really understand how they are thinking about mm-hmm. it so you can twist their uh twist their own logic around so that you you can sidestep the problem that you have well the wording is actually honest when they say public servant right the definition of public as i understand it the way it's actually used when you hear government people talking about public this and public that they really are meaning government the statement that you need to pay your federal income tax, that statement is 100% true, and it means you need to pay the tax on your federal income. What is that, though? And if you don't have federal income, then it's zero multiplied by whatever. It's mm-hmm. still zero. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, um, again, if we all believe, if the people have knowledge, then we will not perish from the earth. And that's what I that's what I advocate. I advocate that we... We we tell the people the truth. We prove it to them by the by by the statute. Okay, look, there it is. That word wages, dude. That word wages mean, uh, 
what an employee gets from his employer, where an employee is a government employee and an employer is someone who receives service from an employee. Now, wait a minute. Didn't you say the definition of employee also included corporate uh, it does. persons it, or it, whatever? And that's very true because the word— Most of these people work for corporations, so doesn't that the, mean they're employees? No, it doesn't because it only applies to corporate officers, not your regular wage collector. A corporate officer is one who has a, 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 a say in where that uh, the corporation goes and has shares in that corporation. Oh, okay. So your typical okay. associate your, on a retail floor isn't an officer. Your typical Walmart worker mm-hmm. is not a Walmart they officer. A they, don't get a, they don't get nothing, okay? Mm-hmm. They get a paycheck, okay. and then they get defrauded because Walmart is defrauding them by bearing false witness against them. Walmart is saying that they received... Uh, services, and that they were paid wages. By the way, the word service, remember what we were talking about in the Constitution? Some words can't be redefined by the statute. Well, service is one of those words. Service means service of the United States. I want you to go to Article 1, all right? Article 1 says, congressmen shall be paid for what? Service. Their services. Article 2 says the president shall be paid for his what? Services. Services. Article 3 said judges of the Supreme Court shall be paid for their what? Service to the United States. Mm -hmm. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 16 says the militia shall be called into actual what? Service. Service of the United States, right? Hmm. And what kind of service do we we know, like, from, from, uh, from living in America? All right, we know we have military service, postal service, postal inspection service, marshal service, Internal Revenue Service, Weather Service, Ocean mm-hmm. Service, Indian and and you know Immigration Naturalization Services. There's a hundred services. Sure, out Child there. Protection Service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so every service that you can name is a government service. It's a benefit. It's a benefit. So when you say I got wages, like some fool, okay, then you look up that word wages, and you'll realize that wages means remuneration for services. That's the definition of wages at 26 U.S.C. 3401. Remuneration for services. And the question is, did you perform a service? And if you know the right, the correct answer for that, then you've lawfully either paid your taxes for performing a service to the United States or avoided paying a taxes because what you've done is nothing more than labor, right? Labor is different from service. Very different, you're saying. Okay. Yes. In fact, I have a, uh, let's see, a constitutional, um, not a constitutional. Is this something, before you go on, is yeah. this some, this information, it's really interesting. Is it something that the average Walmart person or laborer or whatever can put into effect? I mean, because if you're in this corporate environment, there's usually no opting out of, you know, getting out of this system, right? Like you... I mean, don't you just basically have to be an entrepreneur to get out of this? You know what I mean? Like, what can you actually do with so this So I know a guy. Uh, I haven't talked to him in probably seven or eight years, but he's a, a pilot for United Airlines. I'm sorry, FedEx. Okay. Commercial airliner pilot. Uh, worked for FedEx. And he doesn't have a social security number. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know, he corrected his status from a federal United States citizen to a, you know, a citizen of New Hampshire. I'm I'm sorry, uh, Connecticut. He's from Connecticut, mm-hmm. and they don't deduct. They didn't deduct any taxes. Uh, he actually threatened. They they were really? going to fire him, and he threatened to sue HR. I know another guy who's a CDL truck driver. He worked for Old Dominion Freightways, 
And there, he's like, hey, why are you taking, you know, I, I, I don't work for wages. And mm-hmm. he, he went through the whole thing. In fact, I, this guy I'm talking about right now is probably listening to the show. He's still a truck driver, doesn't work for Old Dominion anymore. Mm-hmm. But he's he works for a, a, a company. I forget what he told me. But anyways, uh, Clint, how are you if you're listening? Anyways, <clears throat> he um, and he's getting all of his pay. They don't they didn't remove anything from his paycheck. Really? And he he basically. Did you have to send him a notice or something? Uh, yeah, he did send him notices. He mm-hmm. sent him the appropriate like uh, subcontractor substitute ten ninety nine or W nine t- you know kind of form. Uh, like so, you can substitute the W nine, and and actually I've done that several times with uh, contractors. Now m- my case, I'm sort of a, a valuable skill, so people they they'll sort of jump through the hoops because they want they they want my attention. Mm-hmm. You know, they want my time. In fact. I mean, it's not the federal tax on income. It's the tax on federal income. Meaning that if you are working for the government, correct, you owe this particular tax. By the way, I'm not a lawyer. This isn't legal advice yeah. or anything like that. It's, this is just what you've learned. Right? Correct. And, it, and you can look these up uh, in your own statutes or your own time. But basically, let's say um, we're going to study uh, self-employment. Okay. In the Another code, legal term. Right? In the code, exactly. Employment is. is a legal term. Legal self-employment term, is self-employment is a legal, is legal, a legal term. term. In the code, and I'm talking IRS about IRS code. IRS code, okay, section 1402. Is this Title 26? Title 26, 1402. It defines the term net earnings from self-employment. The term net earnings from self-employment is the gross income derived from any trade or business. And keep that in mind. Now you go to... Section 7701 of the IRS code, that's Title 26, and you look up the term trade or business, okay? And it says, a trade or business is the performance of the functions of a public office. Mm. Okay? Wow. So so net earnings from self-employment is the gross income derived from the performance of a public office. Hmm. Performance of functions of a public office. What kind of income can you get from the performance of a public office, ladies and gentlemen? Federal income. Federal income. Mm-hmm. So if federal income is what you get out of the performance of a of a uh, uh, you know, performance public of pu- public office, what does the word gross income mean? It means federal income. Therefore, now, you owe the tax. Therefore, you owe the tax. Under so, their code. So if you have gross income... If anybody claims that you have gross income, you become a taxpayer. And until refuted, you have to pay the tax on gross income. That's another thing. Uh, the, the Henniker, you know, the town, when they send you property tax, they say uh, they, they refer to you as a taxpayer. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the public records requests I uh, put you know, to the town of Henniker is what evidence do you rely on? That I am, or what documents, uh, you know, what evidence, what documents and evidence do you rely on as evidence that I am a taxpayer? And they sent me back a copy of the deed to the property, Hmm. which it doesn't say I consent to be a taxpayer on there. It does. A a, a taxpayer, it it does? It does. How's that? Well, I'd like like to. uh, Okay, I'll I'll explain to you how it works, okay? And from Massachusetts law, and it's going to be exactly the same thing, by the way, because all the states are pretty much the same. Mm Mm-hmm. It's on the deed because you didn't buy a house. You didn't see anywhere on that deed that says house. I bought a tract of land. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, okay. Fine. Did it say? Did it indicate that tract of land is 
is private property? I had him put that on a deed. Okay, I then, said, okay. so a grantor, the guy granted uh, me, a spirit-filled man, and my wife, a spirit-filled woman, mm. uh, a tract of land containing, you know, six-point whatever acres, yep. you know, meets and bounds, blah, 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 and... You know, the lawyer wanted to put tenants in common. He wanted to put like you know all these words on here, yeah, yeah. and I you know I also use the term uh, you know not uh, not for public consumption, right? And you know because I, I because I plan on having this battle, okay. you know, with yeah, these yeah, guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, w- one of the things that I've been sort of uh, researching kind of drives right what you've been saying right along here uh, is. There's a guy. If people are interested in learning about property tax stuff, his name is Steve Emerson. You know, check him out on YouTube. Uh, he's been talking about this for a long time, but uh, if you research the uh, process and procedure for tax title taking, so one of the things that happens is they convert your tract of land, which your deed says, all the deeds I've looked at say a tract or parcel of land, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they convert the tract of land into real estate somehow. I don't know how to do that. In fact, that's one of the things I'm going to ask them. Uh, how do you convert? How did you convert my prop, my tract of land into real estate? Because your tax bill doesn't say tract of land; it says real estate. Yeah, mm. exactly. That's that's how they get subject matter jurisdiction right there. So, but also when you ask the tax assessor for the process and procedure they rely on to put a tax taking lien on private property that is a home for your family. And it does not have any commercial business citus. And, okay. and, and a business yeah. citus means a license like to operate a whatever, uh, some kind of shop or, you know, so. a license to traffic alcohol or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happens is when people are sending these to these tax collectors, but the tax collector is like, well, I got five days to respond to your public records request. But w- w- what do you want to do? What are you going to do here? Well, I just want to know your process and procedure, because if you actually read the process and procedure for a tax taking, it all has to do with... Um, basically properties that are, are engaged in some kind of business or trade or, um, or like, uh, have a license to operate a business, uh, from what I understand, I haven't got into the New Hampshire one, uh, too much yet, just a little bit, but I, I've listened to some guys talk about Michigan's, you know, um, Michigan, Florida, and a couple other States. And they all basically say the same thing. You know, they're all the same. Yeah. Because we're all under a uniform commercial code. Yeah. So these, these tax takings are only for commercial properties, essentially, and and and, yeah. and you know and and things that have a business citizen. But the problem is, is nobody challenges these guys. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's, it's a big problem. Well, okay, again, uh, everything is subject matter jurisdiction, and yep. they have subject matter jurisdiction through your your deed. Okay, maybe not your particular deed, but let's say the average deed. Okay, okay. Now, I'm not going to know much about exactly what New Hampshire law says, but in Massachusetts. Mass General Laws, Chapter 59, Section 2A, defines a residential property. And a residential property is defined as a rooming house or a bed and breakfast home. So you walk into Walmart, you're wearing a hat, all right? And then you didn't decide to buy anything, so you walk out. On the way out, the clerk stops you and says, hey, pay for that hat. Or, or, or you know, you stole that hat, Okay. Mm-hmm. And then so so he's bearing false witness against you, right? Then he calls the cops. The cops come, and they're about to arrest you for theft, right, for larceny. So what's the smart thing to do? Is the smart thing to do is to yell at the cop and say, hey, you know, you're an asshole. I didn't, I didn't steal anything, yada, yada, yada. No. Mm-hmm. What's the smart thing to do? The smart thing to do is to prove by, by means of turning the finger of accusation away from you by, by telling the cop that look the uh the the store clerk is 
bearing false witness against you and putting the putting the onus on the store clerk um, to show them the video of you stealing something, which right. didn't happen, right? Yeah. So now I want you to apply that same line of logic uh, to the employment situation because what happens is a man works for Walmart, but the Walmart acts as the store clerk and says, this man performed services and got paid wages, meaning he got federal income, Okay. So, so they're bearing Walmart, false witness. Yes, exactly. The Walmart, uh, you know, manager in this case is bearing false witness against you. So it doesn't make sense to fight the IRS, who then comes and asks you for your money, because the IRS is essentially the cop in the first situation, right? Mm-hmm. The the cop that comes in to to arrest you for for allegedly th- stealing something. So it doesn't make sense to attack the IRS. What you got to do is you've got to attack the man who's bearing false witness against you. So now, in the uh, case of of Walmart, yeah, they're not purposely doing it. He's not they making it up, right? They, like, no, they are. Do they know what they they're doing? They know because they they they've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, the whole damn system is rigged, and they know it. Not mm-hmm. everybody knows it, but I guarantee you that the top attorneys at Walmart know exactly what's going on, and so they need to be sued. All right. So if you're a Walmart employee and 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 you 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 have a legitimate case, you have a legitimate case because they've they've borne false witness against you. They allege that you had uh, been paid wages, which is remuneration for government service. Okay, and that did not happen. And because they made that accusation, they're subject to prove what they assert. So what you would do is you would do a discovery on them and say. Show me all the evidence that I performed a government service and that you paid me government wages. And they can't do that, obviously. Mm -hmm. Then you go to summary judgment. All the facts have been agreed to through discovery. And you you do a summary judgment against Walmart or whoever that the quote-unquote employer is, all right? And you say, these guys, having borne false witness against me, caused the IRS to come in and, and, you know, to try to, try to take, take money from me or whatever. In fact, join the IRS, a- ask them to come in as a co-plaintiff. After all, they're supposed to enforce the laws of this country, right? They're enforcing the laws, the, f- the tax laws of the United States. The tax laws of the United States does not include a tax on your labor. We have Kadu on the line. Kadu, you're on here with uh, Ian, Bear Arms, and Jay Noon. Hey, Ian, I got a special treat lately. I finally got around to reading that book, uh, Market for Liberty by the Tannehills. Oh, yeah, it's a great book. Uh, but the other night, the other night, I just didn't really feel like reading, so I typed into YouTube, you know, Market for Liberty audiobook, and then mm-hmm. what did it say? Market for Liberty, narrated by Ian Freeman. I was like, no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did that. Uh, it's pretty probably good. been like a decade ago, but yeah. Anyway, well. Yeah, you did a good job Thanks. as well. Uh, but wanted to talk about Skeeter's ideology, and um, I don't judge people too harshly if they they've paid into the system, paid some taxes, and you know they want to drain the system, or at least you know get some of their money back. Uh, and you know his whole idea is you're going to uh, tank the system by uh, stealing all their funds or whatever. But um, the problem with that is like this is not just a practical battle against the state. Uh, this is, you know, an ideological battle. So I think he's really missing the point. It's it's not just the fact that we want the state off our backs, like in the short term and in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's 
it's uh, we want to change the ideas. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I think we're talking about here tonight. People need to change their ideas, the things that they the, the terminology that they use unwittingly using the state's terms, sort of consenting into their system and their mindset. We have to set people's minds free before they can manifest that freer world. We were talking earlier about the manifestation of mm-hmm. what people believe in and we have to have not only those free minds, but we have to have a concentration of those free minds because we got a bunch of people all around the planet that understand these things, that believe in liberty, that get the concepts we're talking about here tonight. Hopefully we've added a few more tonight by having this conversation, or at least we've started some people down that path. But the path should, at the very least, if not end, come through New Hampshire for those who understand these things so you can actually find a community of like-minded people. Because it is a lonely existence to be the one guy in Connecticut or California or wherever it is you are that actually thinks this way to have absolutely no one that you can connect with to have no one that you can talk to that you can you know uh, have a conversation with and actually understand one another without having to under you know explain the the basics of freedom so i think it's just so important to get those people together and i think that's why the free state project is the most important project in our lifetime and in New Hampshire here, we can approach our state representatives. Uh, a couple of sure. weeks ago, I went to the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance uh, Summit that they have. Right. Every and year they bring uh, selected legislators together to talk about what they're going to file for the next upcoming year. And I can tell you, uh, pretty much everybody at that event, including all the state legislators, were pretty fired up about the DCYF situation. Mm. And headline each- to, headline tonight, uh, YDC victims frustrated by lack of AG prosecution. People at the youth detention center who were abused by, you know, rapist guards and that sort of thing are upset because surprise, surprise, the government's protecting their own. But they're putting a lot of effort into prosecuting my wife, for example. Mm-hmm, sure. And are. so, but the, the the state, you know, I'm like, hey guys, I'd like you to do a bill to abolish DCYF, and they're like, oh yeah, we we really like to do that. And, and they've gotten so many complaints about DCYF. But one one of the things that is happening, uh, there is actually going to be a family law committee hearing. Uh, so if you just um, your internet search New Hampshire General Court family law committee hearing. They haven't scheduled a date for it yet, but I'm actually putting together uh, an affidavit for the family law committee hearing, and I'm going to speak in front of them. I'm nice. going to testify at that committee, and I and there's also there's a whole bunch of other people planning on testifying at this committee mm-hmm. with uh, with their horror stories of DCYF. And another thing, if you guys want a sign that says "Abolish DCYF," a yard sign, I'm going to do a sign making party. Cool. So we're going to be doing Ernie Hancock style signs where uh, I have a friend right now designing a uh, graphic and another friend, uh, uh, Bill D, you know, him, uh, Ian, yeah. uh, he's going to, he will uh, make us the, uh, the stencils. He'll make me several of them. And I'm going to cool. have, as soon as I have these, I'm going to announce a sign making party. And so we're going to start making signs and I'm going to send people home with uh, stencils and they can make their own sides uh, really easy. And if we can uh, get some, get a couple thousand yard signs all around New Hampshire that say abolish DCYF. I tell you, when I was uh, running for state representative and I held that sign that said abolish DCYF, I had so many people come up to me 
to tell me their about horror stories. basically their horror stories and why they hated DCYF. And mm-hmm. almost every single one of them was a registered Democrat. Whoa. And and they were like, they're like, I can't, I can't vote for you in this primary because I'm registered as a Democrat. So aren't you going to run as a Democrat next and, time? Uh, <laughs> I would really like my, I, I, I am, I have many irons in the fire. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think it would be good, especially in my town, because it's a college town. Mm, and what's right. awesome about New England College is most of the kids that go there come from some city, mostly New York City, New Jersey area, uh, Philadelphia. Yep. So when I talk to those college kids about DCYF, they all know somebody or have personally had a bad experience at DCYF. Oh, in fact, okay. I couldn't find anyone. I have yet to come in contact with somebody who defend the actions of DCYF to my face. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.